0: This case starts on April twenty first, nineteen seventy one. Thirteen year old Carol Denise Spinks was born in Washington, DC, in nineteen fifty eight. She was one of eight children and she was in the seventh grade at Johnson Junior High School. Her siblings reported that her name was Bebe and she enjoyed playing hula hoops and jacks in her spare time. Growing up when I lived in Jamaica I played jacks all the time and I can tell you that it is one of the funnest games that I have ever played. It was like a core of my childhood. Carol's 24-year-old sister, Valerie, lived in the same apartment complex as the rest of her family, just in a different apartment. On the evening of April 21st, 1971, she asked Carol to go to the 7-Eleven about a half a mile to get some groceries. Carol was given money and bought five television TV dinners, bread and soda. Carol's mother was in Maryland for the day and she had warned her children not to leave the house. Carol, randomly, just runs into her mother on the way to 7-Eleven and she tells her mom that Valerie asked her to pick up a couple of items. Carol shouldn't have taken so long to get back because the 7-Eleven was only a half a mile away. Six days later, at 2.46 p.m., a group of children were playing behind St. Elizabeth Hospital in southeast Washington, D.C., close to the northbound lanes of I-295, about a mile from Carol's house. When police arrived on the scene, they were able to identify the victim as 13-year-old Carol Denise Spinks. She had been strangled to death, sexually and physically assaulted, and she had cuts on her face, neck, and chest, as well as a bloody nose. She had all her clothes on except her shoes, and police found green synthetic fibers on her clothing. According to the autopsy report, she had been dead for around two to three days. Her stomach contents revealed that she had eaten citrus fruit, which was odd because Carol's mother, didn't have any citrus fruit in the house, and Carol hadn't eaten any because there was none. This theorized to police that Carol was kidnapped, she was held captive for a few days, and her killer must have fed her before murdering her. Carolyn, Carol's twin sister, revealed that when her sister was murdered, she, quote, I couldn't get it together. I thought I was going insane, end quote. Darlenia Denise Johnson, who was 16 years old, was on her way to her summer job at Onyx Hill Recreation Center in Congress Heights two months later on July 8, 1971. Darlenea was born in Washington, D.C. on December 10, 1954. She lived on the same street where Carol Spinks was last seen. Darlenea and Carol attended the same school, but they didn't know each other. Darlene was assisting with the sleepover that they were having at the recreation center for younger kids in the neighborhood. Her disappearance was initially unnoticed because she was meant to spend the night at the rec center. Darlene's parents called the rec center only to discover that Darlene never arrived. Two witnesses said that they had last seen Darlene in a black car driven by a black male. Police investigated the lead but found nothing. Darlene's remains were discovered 11 days later on July 20th, approximately 15 feet from where Carol's body was found, just off 295. She was discovered completely clothed and shoeless, just like Carol. Darlene's body decayed faster in the heat since it was July in the middle of summer causing investigators to be unable to determine her cause of death or whether she had been sexually assaulted, but police thought that Darlena was strangled to death. Brenda Faye Crockett was born in 1961. She was the youngest victim at 10 years old. Bertha Crockett, her sister, recalled her as having an adorable tiny dimple on her chin and a love of church on july twenty seventh, 1971 her mother sends her to the grocery store which was a half a block away so they were all expecting her to return home pretty quickly her mother realizes something is wrong about an hour later and goes out to find her The family's house phone rings at 9.20 p.m., two hours after Brenda was last seen. Bertha, who was seven at the time, answers the phone. Brenda is on the other end of the phone telling her sister that a white man picked her up and he is going to send her home in a cab. Brenda said bye and then hung up the phone. The phone rang again a few minutes later and Brenda's stepfather answers. Over the phone, he kept saying, You know, just tell me where you are and I'll come and pick you up. Bertha, her sister, remembered her stating that she was in Virginia. Brenda asks her stepfather, quote, Did my mother see me? End quote. Her father tells her, quote, If your mother had seen you, she would have gotten you. End quote. Brenda's stepfather tells her to call the man so he can speak to him. And in the background, you could hear loud footsteps. And the last thing Brenda says before hanging up the phone was, I'll see you. Brenda's mother returns home after searching everywhere for her daughter and calls the police to report her missing. Bertha claims that she woke up in the early hours of the morning to the sound of her mother screaming when the police informed her that they had located Brenda's body. A hitchhiker discovered Brenda Crockett's remains on U.S. Route 50 near the Baltimore Washington Parkway in Prince George's County, Maryland, the next day on July 28th at 5.50 a.m. She was discovered with all her clothes on, no shoes, and a scarf knotted around her neck, just like the previous victims. Police believe that the phone calls the family received were staged to confuse the family and investigators because whoever the killer was, they suspected that they might have been seen when they kidnapped Brenda. So they believe the calls were scripted and he told her what to say. So no one really knows if it was a white man or if she was in Virginia. And police were never able to trace the calls. 18-year-old Brenda Denise Woodward from Baltimore, boarded the bus around 11.30 p.m. on November 15th, 1971, after having dinner with a classmate. Her body was discovered six hours later on November 16th near Prince George's County Hospital along the axis ramp to Route 202. She was strangled and stabbed repeatedly. She was wearing shoes and her coat was draped over her body with a handwritten note in one of the pockets. The note reads, This is tantamount to my insensitivity to people, especially women. I will admit the others when you catch me, if you can. Sign the Freeway Phantom. Eventually, everyone began calling the police department, claiming to have information on the killer. The note's handwriting was examined and it was determined to be Brenda's. Retired Washington, D.C. detective Romaine Jenkins stated that this note was odd because if she wrote the note and she was kidnapped by someone who was most likely going to kill her, her hands would have been shaking and it would have shown that she was stressed or scared in her writing. But the note was neat. Brenda, according to police, did not consider the person that she was with to be a threat. So maybe she knew her killer. The FBI and police investigated the note further and the word tantamount, which means equivalent in value, stuck out. Retired special agent Barry Covert indicated that the note was intended for someone specific. The agent summarized the message by saying, quote, the reason I did what I did is because you made that judgment of me. End quote. And the note showed that the killer was getting even with a specific person to whom the note was directed towards. On September 5th, 1971, Diane Denise Williams, who was 17, was described by her sister as beautiful and intelligent. She always imagined that Diane would grow up and become a singer, an actress, or a model. Diane was dating a guy named James, and she was allowed to visit James after cooking and having dinner with her family, but her parents told her that she had to be home by 10 p.m. James waited by the bus stop with Diane until the bus arrived at 11.20 p.m., but she never arrived home. Her body was discovered a few hours later on I-295 southbound. She was strangled, she was wearing white tennis shoes with her name written on the heel. Medical examiners found no evidence of sexual assault, but they did find semen in Diane's clothing. Diane's boyfriend, James, stated that the semen was not his because they did not engage in sexual activity. There was now six victims, and police discovered green fibers on all the bodies except Darlene Johnson, due to the stage of decomposition. Police began searching for and investigating all known sex offenders. They first look into the Green Vega Rapists. They were a group that committed rapes and kidnappings along the Washington Beltway. According to police records, the gang consisted of five members, and their first offense was committed in 1969 but the majority of their crimes were committed in 1971 and 1972. Some of these abductions occurred within a few blocks from where the Freeway Phantom victims were abducted. On October 5, 1973, two of the members were found guilty of rape, kidnapping, and other offenses, and they were sentenced to Lorton Prison in Virginia. And the rest of the group was tried separately and sentenced to prison. Detectives go to the prison to question them about the Freeway Phantom. One of the gang members claimed that the murders were committed by another gang member, and this gang member, who provided information about the other gang member, requested privacy. He told authorities about the man, the date, and the location of the crime and some facts that only the killer would have known, which were not made public. And all that information was correct. The gang member who provided this information had a solid alibi. At this point, Prince George's County State Attorney Arthur Marshall made the investigation public, and he informed everyone about everything that the inmate at the Lorton Prison in Virginia had given information about. The gang member recanted his entire story on August 29, 1974, and denied knowing anything about the Freeway Phantom Killer. They then investigate another murder, which they initially suspected was committed by the Freeway Phantom Killer. Angela Denise Barnes was 14 years old. She was discovered shot to death on the side of the road in Maryland in 1971. Her killers were Edward Sullivan and Tommy Simmons, who were both rookie cops at the time. They were charged with Angela's murder, but further investigation ruled them out as suspects. They then look into Robert Askins. In March 1977, 58-year-old computer technician Robert Askins was charged with kidnapping and raping a 24-year-old woman inside his house in Washington, D.C. And Robert has a horrible, horrible criminal record. On December 28, 1938, when he was 19 years old, he was a member of the Minor Teachers College Science Club when he gave cyanide-laced whiskey to five prostitutes, where 31-year-old Ruth McDonald died. 26-year-old Elizabeth Johnson was stabbed to death two days later on December 30th. He then admitted to being a woman-hater after he was arrested. He was found to be criminally insane in April 1939 and committed to the St. Elizabeth Hospital. In April 1952, five months after his parole, he strangled 42-year-old Laura Cook to death. He was tried for her murder in 1954 and then for the 1938 murder again. He stated in court that he intended to use cyanide on himself because he was going to kill himself. Despite this, he was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 years to life in prison, but his conviction was overturned in 1958. Police searched his home after he was accused of rape in 1978. They discovered a note with the word tantamount in his desk drawer, and that was also the same word that was used in the note recovered from Brenda Woodward's body. They obtained a search warrant and dug up his backyard. There was no physical evidence and no link to the freeway phantom killings. Robert Askins spent the rest of his life at the Federal Correctional Institute in Cumberland, Maryland until his death on April thirtieth, two 2010, at the age of 91. He was contacted by the press and asked about the murders, to which he responded that he did not have, quote, the depravity of mind required to commit any of these crimes, end quote. Depravity depravity yeah I think I'm saying that word right that means to be wicked which is a lot coming from him because you know he was sure enough wicked to murder a prostitute poison five prostitutes stab another one and then strangle another woman and then claim to be a woman hater yeah wicked enough In 1987, Detective Jenkins looks back into the case only to discover that all the evidence and case files have been destroyed. Detective Jenkins contacts the FBI and attempts to recreate the files that were destroyed because the FBI has an extra copy that was marked, Do Not Destroy. Detective Jenkins also made contact with the other officers who worked on these investigations and got their notebooks, which contained all the material. They have a case file and all the victims, again, thanks to Detective Jenkins' hard work and her refusal to let up. And the FBI prepares a profile on the freeway phantom killer. According to the FBI, he was described as a loner who hated women, age, 27 to 32 most likely he worked a day job and he may have known some of the victims and gained their trust despite this they were never able to apprehend the freeway phantom killer detective Jenkins retired in 1994 stating that she was disappointed because she was unable to make an arrest and that every unsolved case requires every piece of the puzzle to be solved. However, the police department misplaced and destroyed evidence. Following this case, the Washington DC Police Department's evidence retention was enhanced by the city council, which specified that unsolved homicide evidence should be kept for a minimum of 65 years. Carol's twin sister, Carolyn, stated that when she reaches heaven, her sister will reveal who murdered her because no one here on earth knows any answers. Aside from the commonalities I pointed out in their case, you know, from they were all found fully dressed without shoes and strangled, And the green fibers four of the girls all had the same middle name which was denise and they lived very close to each other and obviously that could just be a coincidence because maybe denise was a very popular name in back then but it it was just odd tommy musgrove the head of the dc police homicide unit stated quote those black girls didn't mean anything to anybody I'm talking about the police department. If those girls had been white, they would have put more manpower onto it. There's no doubt about that." End quote. End of episode thoughts. It is a tragic, terrible, terrible, tragic thing that happened to these girls and their families, and they have yet to receive justice 52 years later. The police department let these girls down, that I can say, by destroying evidence because the case went cold, the case was never closed, and they were just like, might as well throw it away. Which is disappointing, of course, because you never know what could happen. Sure, a case isn't solved in 10 years, but a case can be solved. And I've said this before, that every unsolved case has the potential to be solved if people just do their jobs i have no theories as to who i think is responsible for this um i don't i was i no i i have no idea i'm like my mind is blank when it comes to who did this all that i know is that they are a sick and terrible terrible individual who took the lives of innocent children even after 52 years which is half of a lifetime i still hope that someone out there has something that can give these girls and their families the justice that they deserve the justice that they have been waiting for for 52 years and with that Today's story comes to an end. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, every Thursday there is a new episode at seven a.m. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, leave a review and rating so I know what you can think. So I know what you think of the show. You can keep up with me and the podcast at Instagram at Criminal Curiosity Pod, Twitter. Is Crim Curiosity and TikTok is Criminal Curiosity Pod. That is all that I have for you today. Please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time. Bye, everyone.